Well, as Pastor Jeremy already said, today is uh, a big day for football fans, and we call it the Super Bowl, but I want you to know the real Super Bowl was won back on the cross. And it doesn't have to be replayed. There's one champion forever and always, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And since it is Super Bowl Sunday, we are having a special service. It's only going to go about five hours long. <laughs> you guys think I'm joking. Now, I know everybody wants to get, get home, get on with their celebrations and festivities, but you know what? The game is going to be over. There are going to be some people laughing and some people shouting and some people crying and some people doubting whether they should have supported their team. <laughs> but there's one team you can never go wrong being a part of, like you already heard, and that is God's team. As a child of God, you are part of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that never ends. The Bible says we're being given a kingdom that can't be shaken. That's so important in the days we live in with all the things that we hear reported and see going on that causes people to, to just absolutely shake down to their roots because they don't know what's next. But we don't have to know what's next. We know who is in our tomorrow, and that's God. And he'll take care of us today, tomorrow, and always. Amen? It just isn't always going to be what we think it is. But know that what God's plan is is always the best. And we've been learning about God's plans and his times. The timing and the plans of God are not ours. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah that his ways as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts higher than ours. And yet we struggle. We struggle because who has a better plan than God? Nobody. But we struggle when the plan that God has doesn't line up with our plan. And we struggle when the timing that God has doesn't line up with our timing. Somebody said it this way. God is never late, but many times he's the God of the 11th hour and the 59th minute. He's always on time. The Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of time. God is not restricted by time like you and I are. We feel, we feel the effects of time throughout our days and throughout our lives. And God is not affected by time, but he is the master of time. And he uses time for his purposes and plans. And we've been learning about this. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans for us for good, not for destruction, with a future and a hope. He also says in Ecclesiastes that to everything, which leaves out what? Right. To everything, there is a season and time for every purpose under heaven. So God has plans, God has seasons, God has times, and we don't always know them, but we should always trust them because God has never failed. God has never made a mistake. God is perfect, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And you may be thinking, well, what, what about this thing about sin? How, how, if he's perfect, how did he make man that he would fail? That's right. He gave us the freedom of choice. And when we come into the kingdom of God, where Jesus becomes Lord, master, owner, savior of our lives, God still gives us freedom to choose. And that's a challenge for us because as perfect as God is, as much as he has the best plan and the perfect timing, we struggle at times and are deceived in thinking that there is a better plan out there. There is a more accurate and perfect timing for the plan. And yet that is just something that we have to absolutely understand that no one does it better than God. Amen? And this morning we're going to continue on. We've been looking at, at David's life and we looked at, at the plan God had for him, but we're going to see the timing. 
in the plan and the things that went on because the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. But before we do, let's pray. If you bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being with us here and those that are online. We thank you there's no time or distance in the spirit. You are with all of us. And yet, Father, it's not just your presence. We're so grateful for your presence that never leaves us. But, Father, we need your participation. We need input from you. You see things that we don't. You understand things we could never understand. And you've planned things that we could hardly comprehend. And so today, Father, we look to you. Our eyes are on you. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. That, Father, we would continue to rely on you and obey you so that your will would come to pass in our lives and through our lives, bringing glory to your name, helping to build up the body of Christ and help reach people with the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. So today, Father, we pray that our ears and heart would be open to receive what you're speaking to us personally, but also to us corporately. And that, Father, as we hear what you say, we will hide your word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against you and we would be obedient doers of your word and not deceiving ourselves by just hearing it and experience the transformation that you have intended for us to experience going from glory to glory. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? So we, we looked at Acts chapter 13, a strange place to go to look at David's life, but in Acts chapter 13, it begins to tell us about what da who David was and what he did. And in just a real quick overview, it says David served God's will, purpose, and counsel. God's will is his plan, his purpose, and his counsel in his own generation. And that's the thing that we need to realize. David served God by serving his generation. If you and I want, say we're serving God and we're not serving anybody else, we're deceived. As much as we want to serve God, Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so that's where we really see David served God's purpose and will and counsel in his own generation. And verse 22, God said, I found David. Because we know God's searching for people whose hearts are fully turned towards him so he can show himself strong on our behalf. I don't know anybody that doesn't need God to show his strength in our lives. But the qualifier is, are our hearts turned towards him? Are we looking to him? Are we ready to receive from him and align with him so that he can show his strength in the challenging times and situations in our life? But he found David a man after his own heart who would do all his will. Now, how many of you know about David's life? Did David do everything perfect? Well, did David do everything good? We know no one's perfect but Jesus. Did he do all the good stuff he should have done? Well, he did a lot of good stuff. But he also did a lot of bad stuff. But the great thing about David's life, God knew him and he said, he's a man after my own heart. And yet David fell. David got tripped up and entrapped in sin. And one sin led to another sin, to another sin, to another sin. It wasn't just that David had one sin. There were multiple layers of sin in David's life. And yet we see God restore David, even to the point where when we look in the genealogy of Jesus, David is in it. He wasn't disqualified. But it was because how David handled his sin. And today we're going to look at this. We're going to see how he did. And, and a characteristic that is not very widespread in us as human beings. As a matter of fact, it's not natural. Not natural for us to have this characteristic that David showed. But it happens when we begin to really know God. Really become aware of how much God loves us and the plan God has for us and his mercy and his grace. And it's something we all need. And as we, we go today, we're, we're just going to jump off in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. This is where David was being anointed. He was being chosen as king. Now, 
God had spoken to Samuel the prophet and said, I, I have picked another king for myself. Now, he picked Saul. But what happened with Saul was Saul decided he could handle it. He depended on God for quite a while, the Lord for quite a while. And then he decided, you know what, I'm going to do things the way I want to do it. And that's when his downfall came. We can't accomplish God's will in our effort or our ability. So he decided to take things into his own hands. And that's something that we all are tempted to do. You know, God doesn't show up on time, and so Abraham and Sarah decide they're going to make a plan to make God's will come to pass, and it's been troubling the Israelites, the nation of Israel, ever since. But right here we see that, that the prophet went to Jesse's house in Bethlehem, and, and the prophet didn't even know who it was. He had to find Jesse in Bethlehem, and and. God only told him it's one of his sons. And so the seven sons of Jesse started to go past the prophet. And he thought the first one had definitely was going to be the man picked for king. And God said, no. I don't look on the outside. I look on the inside. Because we become masterful in portraying what we want people to think of us. Just go online and see how people portray themselves and how widespread and how necessary it is to do background checks on people. You know, if you really know people, you don't have to do a background check. But because we don't know each other, we have to resort to human ways of checking each other out. We know each other by fruit. And fruit comes in seasons and times. It takes time to know each other. But it's worth it when you do. And so finally, Samuel said to Jesse, is this all your sons? And he said, no, there's another one, but he's out keeping the sheep. He's the youngest one. And Samuel said, send for him. And when he came, in verse 12, it says, so he sent and brought him, and he had a ruddy, he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the what? One. This is the one. I want you to know you're the one. What do you mean? You're the one that God has a plan for. Just like David. And who knew the plan for David? God and God alone. Did Samuel know? No, not until God told him. Did David's dad know? Did his brothers know? Did David know? Correct. And so you may not know, but God knows, and he's going to reveal it to you in the right time. But we have to recognize that as we look at each other, none of us, even when we look at ourselves in the mirror, none of us know our potential. And none of us can fulfill our potential apart from God. Because the creator of every one of us has a plan with the power and the provision for you to be who God has for you to be and do what God has for you to do. And so David was brought in and Samuel was told by God, this is the one. And so he pulled out the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers, all older. This was the youngest brother. And in that time, at that society, younger brothers got all the ugly jobs. And where was David when, when they called for him? He was out watching the sheep. That was not the best job as a son. You were isolated. You were possibly in danger from wild animals stealing the sheep. If nobody came to bring you food, you might not eat. It was a tough job, and David was out there. They called him, and now David... David has been recognized by God, by Samuel, now by Jesse, now by his brothers. He's the next king. It shocked all of them, including David. And it says this, 
He anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. From that day forward, the Spirit of God came on David. But also, very close to this time, the Spirit of the Lord left the former, the current king. And he began to have really difficult times. And you know what happened right after this? David went back to watching the sheep. And Saul had such a, King Saul had such a difficult time. Some of his advisors said, you need to get somebody in here and play nice music for you so your trouble will kind of leave. And they said, well, who, who can we get? How many of you know God knows where you are? And God knows who you are. And God will get you, get you where you need to be for him. And all of a sudden, Saul's advisors say, you know what, there's a, there's a young boy, he's a sheep herder, but he's a great musician with a harp. And Saul said, call for him. And he came and he played for Saul, and Saul's trouble left. All of a sudden, David is standing in front of the man he's going to replace. Awkward. And yet we find out David was anointed king. Scholars think that he was between the ages of 10 and 14. They don't know for sure. Does anybody know how long it was before he was actually raised to be king of Israel? It was between 16 and 20. Why did God take so long? Obviously, the present king is going downhill. Two reasons. And two reasons why God does it what he does in the timing that he does it. Number one is protection. Number two is preparation. When I say protection, Saul didn't know at that point that David had been anointed king. Because if he had, what do you think Saul would have done? He would have killed him right on the spot. And then he would have gone to to David's house and he would have killed Jesse and his seven sons. So there was a protection that God had. Sometimes we don't even know God's protecting us. And he is protecting us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. But the other part was preparation. And when I say preparation... David was a shepherd. David was learning things that he didn't realize he was learning to be a king. And yet he needed time to learn these things. And the next thing we see is that David is taking supplies from his dad out to his three older brothers. You had to be 20 years or older to be in in the military and he wasn't, so he's taking supplies out. And who remembers who was out there that Israel was standing against? Goliath, but it was the Philistines. And Goliath was their champion. And he gets out there and he brings the food to his brothers. And he hears Goliath start taunting Israel. And God, the God of Israel. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare to defy the living God? And everybody's looking at this kid. Who are you? But you see, there are some things that David had learned that we don't know until we read what happened with Goliath. When he went to face Goliath, and and I'm paraphrasing a lot of this because we got a lot of ground to cover today. David went out and faced Goliath, and as he's going towards Goliath, Before he goes, he goes to Saul. Saul tries to fit his armor on David. And David says, it's not going to work. And Saul says, how how can you possibly go against this, this killer? You're the smallest of us. He's the largest. And he says, the God that gave me the lion and the bear 
will surely give me this man. So when David was, was tending the sheep, he not only played out there to calm the sheep, he played to God and he saw God protect him and provide what he needed to protect the sheep. Do you know that David wrote Psalms? As you read through the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms. David wrote half of them. 75 Psalms are attributed to David. That's how much he would worship God and praise God out in the field. So he became very intimate with God, recognizing him, relying on him, interacting with him, even to the point where when the lion and the bear came to destroy the sheep, God gave him what he needed to take care of a lion and a bear. How many of you would like to face a lion or a bear? I wouldn't even want to do it with a gun. But that is the very thing that prepared him to be able to face the giant. Because even though the lion and the bear were too much for him, but not too much for God, this giant that appeared to be too much for him was not too much for his God. And he, he was able to experience the victory that God had for him in that moment because he looked to God and he gave the glory to God. Now, after that moment, all sorts of things started to happen. People started to sing David's praise and, and Saul the king got very, very jealous. And he hunted David down. He tried to kill him. But he never got him. And David... David was in exile. He was running for his life. And yet he still continued to learn. When he was out at the cave of Adullam, he was a, an outcast. People started to come to him. He learned how to build broken people and lead difficult people. Because it says everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontent came to him. And it says there were over 400 that came to him. How would you like to have that group following you? Looking to you to be their captain. And he became captain over them and they were the beginning of the, David's mighty men. So God was teaching him how to deal with people that were disgruntled that were in debt. Because surely a king is going to have to deal with those people. And time came where Saul died and David became the king of Israel. All Israel came with one heart. We read this a couple of weeks ago. They came with one heart according to the word of God to make David, king over Israel. God used David to unite Israel that had been fractured for years and years and years. At that time, he's 30. He begins to reign and, and he does amazing things because during the time he was keeping his sheep and, and, and he was in exile, he was always, it said over and over and over again, David sought the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David was ca causing himself to move his reliance from himself to God. And I'll tell you right now, there has never been a more needful time for us to move our dependence, our alliance, our reliance from ourselves to God. Because what, what's possible with God? Now, that came out really well. I'm really proud of you. And that's the truth. But there's a difference between telling truth and believing truth. You know, we can lift our hands, we can sing at the top of our lungs about how the battle belongs to the Lord. And once the singing stops and the hands drop, we're just ready to take everything on ourselves. So does the battle belong to the Lord or does it belong to us? See, we're all going to make our choice. But we shouldn't 
go between, oh, the battle's the Lord's. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Oh Lord, I know you can do everything. I don't know how this is going to work out. Isn't that how we are? And that's why it is so important that we build some things into our lives. If the battle belongs to the Lord, then we'll have a part because we partner with him. But we're not going to do the big stuff he is. And God's going to give us the part that we can do. And what is that? Believe. Find out who he is. Find out what he said. Find out what he'll do. And believe. And when doubts and questions and accusations come to you about what God can do and who he is, you have to cast that down and replace it with truth. Because that truth will keep us from getting tripped up. It'll keep us free. And where does truth come from? Well, if you listen to everybody on the internet and, and on TV, and uh, the truth comes from them. And we've got a lot of truth that doesn't mix with other truth. That's why it's not truth. There's one place you can be assured that you can always find truth, and that is the Word of God. And that's why it's so, so, so important that we build the Word of God into us. Like God encouraged Joshua, meditate on my Word day and night so you'll be able to do all that there is in my word, and then, after you do that, you learn God's word, you build it into your life, you obey God's word, and then the result is, a lot of people are after this goal, but they'll never get it because they won't do the groundwork. All we have to do is what God says, and the result will, you'll make your way prosperous, you'll have good success. That's what God does. But we, we read the word, we study the word, we meditate on the word, we memorize the word, and we build it into us so that we can do the word. And then God does what he does. So, we come to the place where David, David's been doing well as a king. But there's a moment in time that David does something that seems absolutely okay because he's king. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when what? Kings go out to battle. Who was David? Who appointed him, made him king? God. So he's been given this role in Israel by God, and this says it happened in the spring of the year at the time where kings go out to battle. So who should go out to battle? Right, let's read what happened. The David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel... And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. So David decides, well, I'm king. You know, I've been king for a while. I think I'll, I'll just take a break. I deserve a break today because Burger King tells me that. So he doesn't do what God gave him a role to do. And it doesn't seem like much because they won. Right? They won. Isn't that what it says? So what's the big deal? We win. But he wasn't obedient. But we win. See, most human beings are more interested in the win than what needs to be done. 
You just want to win. And a win isn't a win if it's not done God's way. And this wasn't done God's way. And at that moment of disobedience, as simple as it seemed, even though they won, it was the beginning of the downfall of David. See, many times we think the enemy is going to come with just this big, huge, hairy, nasty thing to tempt us. And that's not the way he works. He brings the most enticing, desirable, seemingly innocent, no big deal, so that when we just take a little bite of it, you know, we don't know how big that bite was that Eve took. I don't think she went... I think she was really nervous about it. And I think she just bit off a little bit. Hmm. Nothing happened. I'm still here. And then she ate a little more and handed it to Adam. The enemy just wants you to take a nibble. Because the moment we take a nibble, we're already in. And so David, David, David doesn't go. And you know the story. Most of you know the story about David and Bathsheba. But it's this innocent. Now he can't sleep. He's at home and he's, he's not sleeping. And he gets up in the middle of the night and walks on the roof. That's an, is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing at all. But he walks on the roof in a place he's not supposed to be. And if all the men went out to war that are 20 years old and older, who's the majority of people left back in Jerusalem? Women. And David's out there because he can't sleep. Wonder why. And he looks over and he sees a woman bathing. Doesn't even know who she is, but she's beautiful. Second thing he does wrong. You can't help but recognize something, but don't stare. Don't let that lust get a hold of you. And then he does a third thing wrong. He sends guys out to find out who that is. Do you see the domino effect of sin? And it doesn't just happen that way in David's life. It happened that way in our life. We're in the kingdom of God. We're not in the kingdom of darkness, but the enemy is trying to trip up every one of us. And when he finds out who she is, he finds out that he's the daughter of someone, but he's also the wife of Uriah. Or she's the wife of, of Uriah. Yeah, wife of Uriah. And where was Uriah? That's right. He was out at the battle. So he knows now this is somebody's wife. And the next thing he does, hey, boys, go out and bring her to me. And, and how do you say no to the king? As a woman without your husband at home. brings Bathsheba to him and he commits adultery with her. So we have a series of these choices all the way along that's taking him deeper and, and down farther than ever before. And at that point, multiple sins. And the battle's still going on. And David's still not there. And Bathsheba finds out, and guess what? They didn't have those little quick pregnancy tests. So this took time. She finds out she's pregnant with David's child. And David freaks. He freaks out. He begins to try and figure out a plan. How do I, how do I take care of this that nobody will know? 
This is deception and more lies. And so David comes up with a plan to hide his sin. And he calls for Uriah from the battlefront, sends for him to come back, and when he comes back, he says, hey, I called you back because I wanted to hear a report. How's the battle going? Uriah tells him it's going well. We're, we're, it's a heavy fighting, but you know we're, we're holding our own. We're doing well. And he says, okay, I appreciate you coming back, telling me this. Now, why don't you take some time and go down and, and stay at home tonight and go back tomorrow? Expecting him to go home to his wife. And because he's been at the battle for a while, you know what you would think would happen. And yet, Uriah is a more honorable man than David. Because he doesn't go home. He sleeps at the door of the king's house all night. And when David finds out the next morning that Uriah has done this, he says, why, why, why did you do this? And Uriah says, the ark of Israel and the army of Israel is sleeping in tents in open fields. And if they're enduring this hardship, why would I? not endure it with them. What an honorable man. And so David thinks, I got to do something. So he gets Uriah drunk. And he, he sends Uriah home expecting that this is going to happen. And he can cover up his sin. And again, Uriah, even drunk, comes back to sleep at the king's door because he's more honorable than David. David finds this out and calls Uriah in, and he says, hey, I'm sending you back. Let me give you these commands to take to General Joab. And the commands say to General Joab, put Uriah in the fiercest battle, at the height of the battle, draw all the troops back from him and he'll be in the thick of it alone and David's thinking he'll surely die and guess what happened he did he died and word came back to Bathsheba her husband had died and so she mourns as they're supposed to for seven days and then David's free and clear Nobody knows except him and Bathsheba. Oh, that's right, God. And so he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and it all looks pretty good. But the Bible says God is not mocked. What a man sows, so will he reap. And God calls another prophet and tells him to go to David and expose the sin. Now, I want you to know, uh, that prophet, Nathan, that God revealed he needed to go to the king and tell him and expose his sin and confront him, guess what the king could have done? Uh, King David, I saw Nathan come in to see you. Is, is he still in there? No, he left out the back door. What did he say to you? Oh, you know, God's stuff. Could have killed him on the spot, buried him, nobody found him. But this is where we see where David had a heart after God. He was a man after God's heart. Because Nathan tells him a parable, a story. And David gets livid because of how one man treated another man. And Nathan exposes him and says, you're that man. And David just crumbled.
David comes to the place where he repents. He admits his sin and he repents to Nathan. And in that moment, we find over in the Psalms, David writes a psalm at this moment to reveal to all of us what's going on. That's Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he, he again acknowledges his sin. And in verse 10, it says, create me. He cries out to God, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Any of you guys know that scripture? Seen it anywhere? We don't put these up just for no reason because we got space. You know, I had no idea I was going to be teaching this, and yet we've had these up. You've had the opportunity to look at them. We've had the opportunity to be able to say, you know what, that's a really good idea. Lord, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes it just takes time sitting and letting God get through to us because there's not a one of us myself or any of you that doesn't need this to happen in our lives. That's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing in prayer. Because in prayer, we draw near to God. And God is light. And guess what light does? It exposes, it reveals things. And that's why a lot of people don't want to pray. They don't want to get close to God. Because they have to see themselves in the light of truth. And the Bible says we would rather live our lives in the shadows. But I'm telling you, if we love God, we will not live in the shadows or move into the dark. We're going to walk in the light as he is the light. And ask him, Lord, expose in me. Show me my heart. Show me if there's any way in me that's hindering you from having your way. Because there surely is. And if we ignore it, and we try and cover it up, we're going to experience some of the same things David did. The Bible says your sin will find you out. I don't want to be found out. Do you? Do you want your sin exposed? Thank you, Kalani. You had the courage to say something. But you said what everybody else here, all of us are thinking. If these screens started to show a name, your name, and all the sins in your life, how fast would you be to get up on that sound deck and get that off the screen? Or how fast would it be for you to run out the doors? We can do all that, but it's still what it is. The thing that we need to do is we need to allow God to expose us to us. If he exposes us to us, then he won't expose you to anybody else. Because at some point in our lives, either here or there, if we don't take care of it now, it will be exposed. We're going to stand before the Lord, and it'll be revealed. Not for the point of humiliating us, but to help us realize in humility how much God loved us in the midst of all that we've continued to do against him. Pastor, this isn't a fun sermon. I'm not feeling real good about myself. You will, and I will, if we take care of this in our lives. This is an ever-present weight. Sin. Sin. What does sin produce in a human being's life? Death. And do you know that's what it produced in David's? David 
repented. He was forgiven, but sin still takes a toll. If we repent of our sin, it doesn't mean God's going to wipe away the results. David's child with Bathsheba died. Did God kill him? No, sin did. Sin will take a toll. And that's why we can't mess with it. That's why I'm telling you today, take care of it now. Be willing to stand in the stark light of God's love and truth, knowing he's merciful and gracious. Mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve as we confess our sin to God. God is faithful and just to forgive us. He shows us mercy and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He works grace in our life because Jesus is coming back. You may say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. That's not going to stop him. He's coming back. And he's coming back for the church. Not a building. Every one of us, his children. And the condition of the church when he comes back is supposed to be what? Without spot or wrinkle. That means things have to be getting out of us. We need to be putting off the things that we've happily done for years. Maybe decades. That we know are not in line with what God's word says. It's much better for us in our time with God, for him to reveal us to us and be exposed before him and before us so that it can be taken care of than revealed in heaven before all. How was it that David could not could not stop somewhere along the way in that sin? We're going to go back to James 4, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Do you realize that that is a whole process? David didn't submit to God and expose himself to temptation that he couldn't resist. Because as human beings, we can't resist temptation in and of ourselves. The enemy will just wear us down. And we'll eventually give in to the temptation. The only way we can resist the temptation of the enemy that he comes with daily, multiple times a day, is we have done the first thing. We have submitted to God. We have said, God, have your way in my life. I want to do your will, not my will. And as we submit, then we can resist. David didn't submit, and he couldn't resist, and he fell into the sin. And then he started to pile sin upon sin upon sin. But he finally got to the place where he was submitting himself to God. God, I acknowledge my sin is against you. And God began the process of restoring him. But there was a reason why he was able to do it. You know who doesn't repent? Prideful people. When we're full of pride, there's no way we're going to repent. But it takes humility, and that's the characteristic. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. He was humble. When he was confronted with his sin, he owned it. It was exposed. He repented. He turned back to God. And we see in Psalm 51, he says in verse 10 what we read, but 11, stay there, thank you. 11 through 13, he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit 
to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Isn't that what we're all here for? We're, we're here. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But we're here to be witnesses to help sinners turn back to him. But until we humbly make the priority God, not us, not anyone or anything else, that's what he did. Of all the things David could ask for, he said, create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. And then he said, don't cast me from your presence. He didn't say, save the throne for me. Make everybody still like me. You know, that was part of King Saul's downfall. When he committed sin, he told the prophet, come back with me so people will think I'm still okay. He cared more about what people thought than getting right with God. As difficult, as challenging as this message is today, I want you to know this can be one of the turning points in your life where as a Christian you can begin to cast off all that stuff that's entangled us. And we get free. And we get clean. And we experience, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not just saved, but are in, walking with Christ. Because the enemy has every right to condemn you and me if we're sinning. Because it's not condemnation, it's truth. Now, Holy Spirit will convict us. The enemy tells us you'll never get out of it. And that's condemnation, and he's got every right to do it. Because we're giving them fuel. But when Holy Spirit convicts us, he lets us know you're off track, you're doing wrong, you're in sin. But you can change and you can be redeemed in this. God can work all things for good in this. He wanted God's presence. He wanted God's spirit. But if we want anything more than God's presence and God's spirit, then we've got things out of alignment. And usually it's because of pride. But David was humble enough to know, I can't do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. Somebody's car is calling. Jumping back to the New Testament, 1 Peter 5. Verse 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul, or Peter, the Apostle Peter is saying, all of you. Now he's speaking to us here today. He's speaking to you online. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So how much humility do you see? I'm not even talking in the world. I'm talking in the church. That we're preferring other Christians over ourselves. We're patient with them. We're kind to them. We're believing the best. Or are we thinking that we know what's what and they're dumb? They're deceived. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Understand, there, there are translations that say for the word grace, favor. And it is favor, but it's much more than favor because you're saved by what? Grace. If it was just favor, God say, you know what, I really like you. But it's more than favor. It is favor, but it's power. It's the most powerful thing that can work in a human life. And it's by the Spirit of grace. That's one of the Holy Spirit's names. And grace empowers us. It imparts to us what we need to be what God has for us to be. And what we need to do what God has for us to do. That's what the grace of God does. 
He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Because if somebody else humbles us, that's humiliating. God wants us to work on this ourselves so that nobody else has to do this. We judge ourselves that we won't be judged, the scripture says. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may what? Well, you ought to be happy about that. That he may lift you up in due time, in his perfect time. Every one of us, I will tell you multiple times a day, I need God to lift me up. And when I know I'm struggling and I think I can do it, then that pride blows out God's grace because he resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And when I'm willing to say, God, I need you. God, I don't have it all together. God, I know I can do something, but it's not near what you can do. God, I want you to have your way in me, and I want you to have your way through me. That humility is a grace magnet. It causes God's grace, his empowering presence, for you to be what he has for you to be and do what he has for you to do, to just flow towards you without end, as long as we stay humble. So this is Peter saying this. But the Apostle Paul also confirms this in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, the heart, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was in me. It almost looks like pride. I worked harder than all of them. But he acknowledges, I partnered with God, but it was the grace of God. It was God's grace that imparted and empowered me to be able to be what he had for me to be and do what he had for me to do. And just the way the Apostle Paul recognized it wasn't his effort, it wasn't his energy, it wasn't his education, it was the grace of God. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in a fallen world that needs all the help it can find. And the only help that it needs more than anything else, is God and his mercy and his love and his grace. And the only way they're going to see that is see it in us. Paul was used by God in the New Testament to write more of the New Testament than anybody else. The things that Paul experienced, the miracles in his life, all of those things were by the grace of God. I remember reading and thinking, God, I want to be like Paul. And then I read how many trials and tribulations he had. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want that. I just want the good stuff, God. But do you know that the Bible tells us how Jesus, our Lord, learned obedience to his Father? The Scripture says through the things he suffered. Because that's where our will and his will come in conflict. And we've got to come to that place of saying, God, I don't care. I don't care if it's glorious. I don't care if it's difficult. I want and I need you, your will, your plan, your timing, even if it doesn't fit mine. Because the Bible says, God makes everything beautiful when we want it. Some of you are like, that sounds really good. Where is that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's first Fleshalonians. It's not in your Bible. <laughs> he makes everything beautiful in his time because he has the perfect time. Amen? I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed.
need to realize that there is no better way than God's way. The way that we pick that's other than God's way is a way of failure. It will never produce the good that God wants and has planned and prepared for your life. And that's why it's important that we all come to put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you're here today or you online and have never done that, we're going to pray today and, and invite Jesus to come into our lives and be Lord of our lives, to govern us, to guide us, and to guard us, knowing that as he comes, his forgiveness cleanses us from all sin. So I'm going to invite all of you to pray here and online together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus who came into this world, lived a, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sin, suffered and went to hell, but was raised glorious and victorious, seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I ask you to come into my life, be Lord of my life from this day forward. I thank you for your forgiveness and your cleansing from all my sins. Today is a fresh start. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that from this day forward, I am yours, you are mine. Thank you for saving me, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here, let somebody know before you leave. If you prayed online, let us know so that we can be praying for you. Uh, if you go to the website, reslifeny.org, scroll down to where the prayer requests are, let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want somebody to contact you, please give us some contact information. Church, this being willing to stand in the light of God to reveal the things that maybe we know, maybe we don't want to admit to ourselves, is not a, a one-day-a-week thing. When we tri get tripped up, when we get entangled or snared by temptation, we need to immediately turn to God and repent. Because humility, humility empowers us to repent, to acknowledge our sin before God. And repentance is the door to restoration. Without repentance, we can't be restored. But without humility, we'll never repent. This is something that God works in us as we decrease and he increases. Amen. Would you stand? Remember, we have a prayer team. Amen. And they are here because they want to be able to agree with you in prayer over what God's promises are. And you may say, well, that, that leaves me out. I don't know what God's promises are. Well, they'll help you learn. But we should all be learning the promises. The Bible says these are great and precious promises that God has given us to help us escape the corruption in this world and become partakers of the divine nature. We're able to move away from the things that have ensnared us, entangled us, and entrapped us. And we're able to move into the kingdom of God the way he has planned for us. And then we can help others come. Amen? So if you need prayer, please don't leave without the prayer team. They're right back there by the prayer banner. It's really good we got a banner for prayer. They'll pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children here and those online. I thank you as we leave here today. Father, I thank you that we can enjoy the things that, that are around us, that, that you've made for our benefit. But Father, help us not to be entangled with the things the enemy is laying out to trap us, to trip us up, and to tempt us. 
Help us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Help us to be very aware of your presence and desiring to fulfill your will, your purpose, your plan, and your counsel. Even as David did in his own generation, help us to do it in our generation. We thank you, Father, for this. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, have a great week.